Okay, uh, okay, at your tables. I want to do the uh, icebreaker for this last session. And a question to ask, to say to each other, if you're willing to, how would you grade yourself on your ability to rest? <laughs> how would you grade yourself on your ability to rest? And, and why? Why did you grade yourself that way? To do it at your tables. Okay, do we have any, uh, do we have any tables that had honor roll students, or did everyone fail? <laughs> what, what were the grades? How many people would say, some, someone at my table got an A? <laughs> okay, okay. How many uh, people said, someone at their table would said an F? F, F, F. Okay. Resting is hard, Right? It makes me uh, makes me think of that uh, picture from the or that scene from the Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, when they they change it in, on the internet to like a kind of a they call it a, like a meme, where you say one does not simply. That's what I think of. <laughs> one does not simply rest. This is serious. This is hard. <laughs> and it, this I think takes us to uh, the problem problem of Sabbath problem that there's something built into our spiritual lives together, there's a principle of rest. Even if you don't believe necessarily in this, this strict Sabbath adherence, uh, there's, there's a principle of rest, ultimately rest in Christ uh, for, for approval with God and for life to come with him. Uh, but there's, there's a spiritual discipline of rest that a lot of us find very, very difficult to do. Physical rest, spiritual rest, the whole thing. And I, my guess is that with as many people as, you know, immediately said F, that um, a lot of you, you feel this. You're, you would be tempted toward being a workaholic. Um, and here, here the quietness is not literal but kind of figurative. Like your life is loud. You're always working. Always go, go, go. There are different ways that uh, the people measure overwork statistics. Um, but some of the ones I've seen are that 80% of people work somewhere between the 40 and 79 hour range in a week. Uh, in general, a third of all American workers could be viewed as chronically overworked. Uh, another way they measure it is by how many of your vacation days you take. And apparently, and the, again, the numbers varied, but one study found that only 38% of U.S. employees actually took all their earned vacation days in the year. Um, and each, the, the more sobering statistic was each year, Americans hand back 40 421 million days to their employers. <laughs> they don't take their rest that's actually built in. <laughs> like, I take all my vacation. <laughs> no. And so it's not just, not just the overwork, not just the pressures of work, but there's something associated with that, with that right? Stress. Um, and I, I, when, I, when I first did, this, uh, did these talks, I started looking up... Um, kind of the effects of stress on the body. And I just wanted to list a couple to illustrate. And the list was so long <laughs> that I couldn't just list a couple to illustrate it. Um, and so I, some, some, uh, some things I saw just broke it down to major body systems <laughs> just as a way of organizing it. So, and, and you know this because you felt some of it. So musculoskeletal system, you know, back and neck aches. Uh, you know, it, it affects your circulatory system. It affects your skin. Uh, it affects your endocrine system, GI system. Every single system is affected negatively by stress. None of those are helped or like encouraged or like cared for well by stress. 
which, which made me stop and think, you know, I, you know, in the past I kind of thought the death penalty for the sab- for Sabbath breaking in the Old Testament was a little harsh, but maybe we still have it. It's just self-enforced. <laughs> we kill ourselves because we don't take the Sabbath. So it's worth asking, you know, what motivates all this restlessness, all this restless activity, this work? And I, I want to give you a good chunk of time just to, to be with the scriptures, uh, maybe about seven or eight minutes on this one. Uh, and it's, this, is a, this will be in your booklet, so it, there's the, the second to last, actually it's the second to last page there. First uh, Thessalonians 4, Ephesians 2, Psalm 127, section, a couple verses from each of those. And uh, I went ahead and set up the, uh, the T-chart over here, and you, you can put that in the margin if you want to, if you find it helpful. But the key questions I want to ask, and, and Kelly, you can just put up the first two if you want to. Um, what motivates restlessness? What motivates rest? And actually one more. How much does God want me to do today? So if you, if it's help, if you find it helpful, you can put that chart in the margin. Um, some, some people find it helpful to say, okay, something that's connected with a motivation for restlessness, I'll circle, and something that's connected with rest, or why I should rest, or how rest is, how, why we should rest, how, it's, how we can rest, kind of underline. A way to organize it as you're studying it, because I know it's a little bit more text than we're, we've dealt with already. So let's take about seven or eight minutes. We'll come back together at uh, quarter till, well, yeah, about quarter till. And uh, so just go ahead and do this on your own. Take some quiet to study the scriptures on your own. Okay, let's continue the discussion as a bigger group. I'm curious to know. I'm curious to know what, uh, what you all found when you, when you opened up the scriptures, when you heard from each other. What did you find? What stood out to you? Yes. Thanks for clarifying. What stood out to you? What did you find as you looked in the scriptures? You can, you can use the questions here. Um, or just something someone said that you thought was helpful. I don't get the benefit of being at all the tables. So. Right. Designed to work for God's glory. And there's a certain kind of restfulness that comes with that. You get to the end of a good day of work and it feels good. When you feel like you've been productive, there's something really restful about that. Like you said, not when it's not uh, living for approval or trying just to, to please people or you're scared someone's going to be better than you. That's a, that, I think you're saying that drives some of that restlessness. Okay. What else? There's something associated with restlessness about um, getting to the end, day, end of the day and feeling guilty. There's a restlessness that I should have done more. 
that I think does take you away from... I don't think God wants you to feel guilty for, uh, by the end of the day, if you're just, just doing things that are non-sinful, you just need to be done, a couple of little more things you wanted to do. To do. Yeah. Yeah, and I, well, actually, I think someone else was resonating. Uh huh. Okay. Is that is that connected? Uh, did they did they summarize? Did they were they getting at what you were saying? Total inactivity. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so if, <laughs> if I think what you're saying, to, yeah, I like, I like what you're saying, because you're saying if, if the only option of rest is total inactivity, total inaccessibility, just how often are we going to be able to pull that off? Especially if I have a family, right? And you're no more in Jesus than that than you were in Vivian. Hmm. If, you were, if your lack of activity is Yeah, resting in something else, right? That's just a yeah, the very broad general resting in something else is actually drives the kind of restlessness. There's almost um, I don't know if you ever spent time with one of your <coughs> close friends or family members, or you looked real for really looked forward to this time with family, and it, it kind of went okay. <laughs> you know, it went just okay. You had these big dreams of it was just going to be this certain. You know, you had this idea of just how restful it was going to be, and it was just kind of okay. You felt that? I think in that sense, kind of makes you think we struggle more with the outcome of what our work is instead of resting the fact that we need to be working. A lot of times, yeah. So concerned, and I think failure. I mean, a lot of times, you know, God uses failure to teach us to help us draw closer to Him, and yet as a culture, yeah. 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 Mm. You deep fear of failure. Right. It's it, there's not much of a vision for a Jeremiah like ministry, right? Where you could be Jeremiah and your whole faithfulness, nothing really comes of it that he can see that's tangible. He lived his whole life faithfully and not very productively from that from an outcome standpoint. And Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. Right. Yeah.
Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, you're right. All up to me. The sense of it's in vain because it never measures up to your expectations if it's all up to you, right? What else? Other people's expectations. Yeah. Right. You're right. Yeah, I think it's not an accident. It's not. A, it's not a surprising that it's come up more than once over the weekend. But yes, this this creates noise. This makes us restless and trying to be constantly, uh, you know, keeping the critics at bay in a sense, or keeping their expectations fulfilled, perceived and actual. Right? Things that I think people expect of me, and things that they really do expect of me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So if you have a sense that you're doing the right thing, that needs to be done, that God has asked of you, it may be difficult and you may suffer in it, but I, I don't think that there'll be the same restlessness if you have a real sense that this is what God's called me to do in this moment today. Right. What am I going for? What is this all for? What am I spending myself for? And if you don't know what that is and you feel it's all scattered, yeah, no wonder you feel restless because you're yeah, running, for, running toward a moving target. It's something about gratitude. Um, yeah, the trust, just a, a dogged trust, kind of entrusting, like making it making it a verb. Trust, not just as this, you know, substance that you have varying levels of, but something that you do. You entrust to God, and you thank Him. What What is it about thanking that kind of seems to change to make the difference? Do other people feel like that? If you can find a way to say thank you for something or gratitude, what is that? Well, when you thank God for your problem, you give him the problem. Hmm. It's not yours anymore. You get it back. Yeah. One of the different perspectives, Jim, because as you notice with Jeremiah, failure, especially culturally, failure is bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we say thank you even with failure, even in this bad thing. Mm. Then it puts perspective on how will you use 
I've, I've heard that uh, from people before, uh, both with serious illnesses and also with serious sins. And they, they almost don't know how quite how to say it, but they'll say it something like this. You know, I, I never would have ever asked for cancer, ever, in a million years. But I wouldn't trade for the world the things I learned of God in those darker moments. Similarly, I've heard people say things like, uh, you know, I would never have asked for this just persistent battle. Um, specifically in some of the men I've worked with with sexual sin, I'll just say, I hate this and I would have never ever asked for this particular struggle. But then they'll say, you know, but if I didn't have this struggle, would I ever feel my need of the Lord like I do? Would I ever, would I, would I just see myself as the good boy or the good kid? And I've heard a lot of, a lot of men say that, that, you know, they, it's a, they reach a certain point in the struggle when they say, I don't like it. Uh, in a sense, I'm not thankful for the struggle, for the sin at all. But in a sense, I'm thankful that God has exposed to me uh, who I really am before him and who he is in the middle of all the struggle. And you wouldn't trade that for the world, even though you hate it, right? You hate the illness, you hate the sin. And there's some gratitude you can get to because of who you see God as and who you, you know, experience of each other even during those moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God can be stirring to change your direction. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can just be going on, everything's just fine, and you're, but when things start to get all messed up, you know, you're restless or you're stirred. Yes. Yes. Um, I think uh, you have told me that uh, you've all benefited from ministry of Paul Miller. And he talks about uh, in a praying life about um, anxiety as a doorway to God, of coming to God. And I wonder if similarly to what you're saying is you deal with all this restlessness and it it almost becomes an opportunity to move out and to to know you're, you know, almost like the baseball bat. You're hit with it. You know you need to run to the Lord because you're feeling it all. Yeah. It's almost like a sensor that goes off. Oh, I need need the Lord. Any other quick things before we move on? Hey, Jonathan? good yeah yeah it's, it's an interesting entry point wow y'all are doing y'all as a church you're doing such a great job of loving just keep doing it and as you're doing it more and more make sure you're living a quiet life 
so that you're not unnecessarily and, and working with your hands so that you're not unnecessarily dependent on each, on each other but you're kind of carrying your own load and in this way also you're a ministry to outsiders so even this is kind of maybe a small connection we didn't talk a lot about missions or evangelism in this but this kind of is the entry point is that if you're living the quiet life and you're working hard and you're kind of accepting from the Lord what he has for you in each given day that's just about the best way you can live before an outsider, someone who's not an insider in the church, is to live a quiet life. I often thought that the families sometimes who I looked around and I thought that they were doing it the best, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't think it was anything special. But then looking back, I stop and say, you know, it felt so normal. But really what they were doing was not normal. That family was loving the Lord in a, in a quiet life. And then more years ago, you start realizing how rare that really is. So sometimes, embracing God's rest in all of these ways, trusting, surrendering, your life's not going to look all that special. Uh, But there's something about that quiet faithfulness over years that people just from the outside look and they see it. And even the kids who grew up in it, they look and they see it. And they they can remember that in years to come. And there's something about that family, or my family, or the church family, that just had a quiet steadiness about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Do you think? Not to put you on the spot too much, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like no, I need to serve you. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, almost like it, underneath it, it's like something's driving it other than love when it becomes restless, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. Y'all, are, y'all filled it up well. So it's, you're, you're very aware of what kind of leads to the restlessness. That's the path we don't want to go on. You're aware of where, it's, where we're trying to go, where we're trying to follow God's rest and putting it into verbs, entrusting to God, trying to know, know his will, surrendering, um, seeking his spiritual rest, and, uh, and just and working. I mean, when, you, when it's time to work, you work. I want to take a couple, a couple minutes, about maybe uh, a, few, a few minutes on things that I think get in the way of rest. Some, some of what is driving some of this restlessness. And I'm going to go, go at two things. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to play off that Psalm 127. And it's, you know, it says, uh, unless the builder of the house builds it, you know, the, the ones who labor are laboring in vain. And so the first one we want to look at is, uh, is ambition. Kel, do you want to advance that for me? Thanks. And uh, the mindset, I think, well, let's stop there for a second. While I'm erasing it, I'd love to hear a couple people say, if I just said, uh, this person is ambitious, or wow, that whole family is just really ambitious, is that a compliment or a criticism? <laughs> Tease it out. Why is it a compliment? <laughs> wow, everyone in them in that family, they're ambitious. Yeah. 
It, it is a compliment in our culture. It's a compliment. It's associated with drive, passion, hard work, all the good things. Um, but the interesting thing is that uh, for, for a whole lot of years, it was, you know, in the ancient church, it was considered a vice. <laughs> Ambition was considered, you know, and, and even before that, in non-Christian, uh, you know, Greek mythology, think of I- Icarus, right? He tried to fly too high. And, his, and, he, and you know, his wax wings melted and he fell to his death. And it was uh, held up as a moral example of, if you're trying to put yourself too high, you're going to have a bad fall. And Christians, uh, similarly, they, they, there was something to that that was true. And it, and it shows up in Scripture. So the only time where ambition is used positively is actually in this text, I think, in the New Testament. It, other times it's listed in the list of vices. So like selfish ambition is listed several places in the New Testament. This is the only time when it's listed positively. And it's uh, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. So it's almost an oxymoron, right? <laughs> so I, I think, and I don't think ambition's all, you know, necessarily all wrong. And we use it, you know, language is a little fluid. We use it to say some good things. This person really takes seriously their work. They love what they do. They, they're a hard worker. They just do excellent work. He's, he's, uh, he's pushing forward with his career. You know, she's, she's, she's bettering herself, for example. Uh, so I don't, it's not all bad. Um, but if it, if it were taking kind of that negative cast, and if we did kind of re- you know, see it not just as, you know, when you put yourself forward, it's not just an, an unalloyed good, that it could be also skewed in the fall. What would it do? What, what, um, where could you see ambition kind of heading you toward restlessness or something, um, something less than positive? Okay. Interesting, right? So the drive is maybe good, but we say drivenness is not, right? Yes. Yes. What else? Yeah, there's a certain kind of good drive that's pushing you forward so that you're not becoming dependent on people unnecessarily and you're just working hard. Yeah, it's associated with a lot of things that he write right there in the text are actually good. Yeah. What, what where else could it take us toward restlessness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you follow ambition and it takes the negative cast, you could step on people 
in your being task-oriented. We could go into a full discussion on this, people-oriented, task-oriented, and it, probably both would carry strengths and weaknesses. There's certain jobs that I want the person to be very task-oriented. <laughs> if I get surgery, I want the surgeon to be very task-oriented. <laughs> I want him to get in there and do it right and get it done and get out, you know. <laughs> I don't really want him to be buddy-buddy with me for a long time. I just want <laughs> do the, do the, do the, you know, do your business and get it, get it done with. Um, but there is a way that that can go off, right? Toward restless activity and you end up stepping on people. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Excess, the bigger, the better. We had some neighbors growing up, and, uh, you know, they lived across the street from us. They had two kids. Our, our family had four. At a certain point in their careers, they realized that if they, uh, they went up to the next level, next you know, bigger house, you know, they could actually afford it now that both were working. And so they, they bumped up and went to a much, much bigger house uh, than our neighborhood. And then they told, they told us at a couple of points, they said, that was the biggest mistake we ever made, but just drive to get the bigger and the better. We didn't need it at all. It's just more work. Um, but there, but for, I think for them and for some, for some of us, you know, there's this, this is just drive. I've got to get them to the next thing. Uh, and it, that in itself isn't sinful. You know, to have a nice house and use it for other people. But there can be this, right, this, this drive, this restlessness that I've got to get to the next big thing. It can take us away from the rest of God. It can take us toward a restless mindset, right? Maybe one more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Selfish, uh, proud motive would invalidate kind of the hard work, right? Or it would at least take it in a skew that would lead toward restlessness. I think there was one other. Yes. Yes. Right. And I think what you're referencing is not the healthy competition, uh, but maybe something that's more of a cutthroat thing. Yeah. And maybe I just underlined stepping on people. Yeah, unhealthy. Um, and this would get us back to what we talked about last night with stewardship of temperament or stewardship of your body and your resources so that you, you actually have what you need to do what God's called you to do. That gets us a little bit to, that, to the, the verse that said, what, you know, the, my question that said, what is God asking of you today? There's a finite number of things he's called you to, and he's prepared them in advance for you to walk in. He's done the, some of the work. It's almost, he expects us almost to just walk into the day and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? And to walk in it. And it's going to be a finite list. So, um, I want to say one other, one other kind of thing that gets in the way of restlessness. And I want to see if you can, you, can, you can guess. It's a little bit of a trick question. Which sin breaks the Sabbath? Um, what do you guys think? This is, these are the, this is the classic list of the seven deadly sins. Which one do you think breaks it? Pride. Pride, Pride can break it? Yeah. What else? Hmm. 
all of the above. <laughs> yes, all that you could be greedy. You can, yeah, there are all kinds of things you can do to break the Sabbath. It's a little bit of a trick question. Um, but when uh, Thomas Aquinas was explaining to kind of a, the, an objector um, and talking about sloth, he was saying, uh, you know, some people think sloth is not that big of a deal because, um, hey, you know, it's not listed in the Ten Commandments. It's, you know, it's, listen, everyone needs to let rest. And he said sloth is actually a serious sin because it's a failure to embrace and enter into God's rest in the right way. And uh, there's, an old, there's an old word uh, for it, uh, the uh, akedia or sloth. And it's, it's, a, it's a little bit tough to define. It, it, what didn't just mean sitting on the couch eating potato chips, but it could mean that. It was, it was a different, so refusing the good work of attending to God's rest or finding weariness when you felt the demands to love God and neighbor. Another definition that's been given is a sadness in the face of spiritual good that would take a little work to get to. The resistance to the demands of God's love that is the spiritual kind of laziness is uh, expressed in two key ways. One is idleness and the other is restless activity. Um, One counselor described it this way. He was working with a depressed person and he said, During my work with Sophia, an abiding habit for her was to spend much of her day absorbed in reality TV shows. Along with a ritualized review of gossip columns on the internet, uh, Sophia sometimes would reflect on these habits. And she would describe them as a kind of shadow side of her underlying desire to feel alive and enjoy a deep intimacy with others. Gossip columns could feed a hunger in her in a way that required limited effort on her part. And after imbibing, however, she would note an uneasy lack of satisfaction. Instead of feeling filled up, she was left even more empty. I would say that is true very much for the men I work with and who, uh, who would be addicted to pornography. They'd say the same exact thing. That there's this busyness, this, this hurried activity to a lot of sins, or even just even the TV, like, like in this case, there's this hurried activity that instead of filling you up and making you feel good and restful, does the opposite. Up on the screen earlier, it said under ambition, the idea from that passage was, it's my house, I'm going to build it, I've got to build it. If this were, uh, if Psalm 127 were kind of seen through the lens of sloth or the ancient vice of sloth, it would be, I can't take a break from building the house, or the house is just too overwhelming. So the, the, um, here the, both the restless, uh, restless activity of, uh, of sloth and also just the, uh, it's overwhelming, I can't do it, I've got to do everything else. The next, the last one on this would be, um, everything except the house is interesting. <laughs> right? So, and I could, we could go, um, we could go into um, and that for just a couple moments. So if, so how would that, uh, that sloth, that kind of that blah feeling after just restless activity of doing stuff, um, how does that, for, well, how does that further drive the restlessness? Let's draw it out a little bit like we did with ambition. How could you imagine either that restless drive or the, um, yeah, or just the checkout drive. I've got to check out. I've got to be restlessly active. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you're using something to mitigate it or to like lessen it, then you're going to have to step it up. If it's not satisfying, then you've got yeah. to keep pushing more and more to, mm-hmm. to get there, which drives you further into 
Yeah, so it spirals down. Yeah, it does. When you try to rest in something really hardcore, really, really try to rest in something that's not actually very renewing, you actually feel it spirals down. You need more of it. Yeah, I mean, how, how many of you have browsed around online or on Facebook or something like that for a solid 30, 45 minutes or an hour and then stopped at that, hmm, well, that was a really pleasurable use of time and <laughs> really refreshing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you kind of have this blah feeling. And that's, that's this, that gets us closer to that ancient vice of sloth. It's not just the lazy guy, you know? It's, it's the, there's just this blah feeling and you feel so just uneasy, uh, Unready to do something that would require effort, spiritual effort. Yep. Uh huh. Yes. Hmm. So there's this oppressive drive for productivity that can, even when I'm resting, I've still got to be getting something done for it to be a worthwhile time. Yeah. You can imagine why that would leave you not feeling very restful, right? Yeah. I think you can all identify with that. Yeah, one or two more. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lack of clarity, the comparison, and it just leaves you feeling less and less rested, doesn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. You don't get the result you thought you would. You thought you'd feel rested. Um, I think one of mine is uh, like watching little funny videos, you know, online. And I, th- I find that I've started to realize that if I, there's a, a real sh- short amount, uh, there, there's a small number, a finite number that I can watch and feel like, you know, like laugh a little bit and be, you know, have fun. And then I need to stop. Or else it's just going to, like, it's, I'm, it's like law of diminishing returns, right? <laughs> you just, like, feel like you wasted more and more time when you're trying harder and harder to actually feel good and to feel rested, right? So you see this just restless spiral. Right? Yeah, anything else on this topic? Yes. Yeah. It's empty. It's vain. It kind of takes you to that, you know, uh, what was that, that passage in, in Psalm 127 there? Uh, 
it is in vain you rise up early. There's an emptiness. There's, it's empty that you rise up early and go to bed, re- go to go late to rest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or trying to find the life that you wish you had. Yeah. Right. A little bit of vicarious kind of life there. If I can live like, if I can for a while listen to this or watch this, it kind of feels like that's my life. I get to live through that a little bit. Yeah. So these are some of the kind of that ancient, long, old problem vices. You know, they've been around for a long time, and yet there, I think there are two that are a little less common for us, and even some of them we'd associate with things that we like or enjoy, that some, and then we're almost confused about, are some of them bad or some of them not, right? And there's a good, there's, you know, there's a, there's a cast to ambition that can be kind of positive. There's a cast to just, you know, uh, taking away all the distractions that seems positive. It, it kind of echoes the goodness of rest Ambition echoes the goodness of productivity. Um, but what if these? What if these died? What if? What if you kind of put to death the, the aspects of these that have that negative cast? What would you live to? Well, to kind of pick to keep going with the virtue analogy. Um, well, and this is a. We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. The uh, when the ancient writers would write on these vices, specifically sloth, they'd say the the cure for it is is uh, stabilitas, or just kind of sticking, sticking in it with fortitude. And the rest of the virtues, almost, you know, the rest of the cardinal virtues almost have a quiet cast to them too. Of course, justice can be loud, but wisdom, fortitude, moderation, all of those have this almost quietness about them that take us away from where the vices would take us toward a restlessness. Can you go back to the question, Kelly? This is just for reflection. You can, you can note it if it... Uh, and to come back to it, I'm going to keep going though, so we can so we can finish on time. But this is this is worth asking. Where am I tempted to go when life stops feeling worthwhile? Because that's where sloth takes us. That's where ambition takes us. There's something about life that's not feeling worthwhile, and so we ramp it up. We we push in even more. Um, we look harder for something that's just going to make us feel like life is worthwhile. I think that's a useful question. Uh, for, for each of us to ask. So I want to end with um, I want to end with a poem that uh, is one of my favorites by George Herbert, and um, it's called the Pulley, and it's on the last page. You can follow along as I read it. And basically, it's, I'm hoping this is going to answer the question to some degree. What if we put to death? You know, these, these old vices. We're trying to put, we, we now kind of know what we're not heading towards. What are we heading to? There's something about the elusiveness of rest um, that actually is going to drive us to the Lord. So we find that all these obstacles are taking us away from God's rest, and it's hard to get to it. It's elusive, and that's meant to have a certain effect on us that's described in this poem. So let's read it. When God at first made man having a glass of blessings standing by, he said, let us, said he, pour on him all we can. Let all the world's riches which dispersed lie contract into a span. 
So strength made first its way, first made its way, then beauty followed, wisdom, honor, pleasure. When almost all was out, God made a stay, perceiving that alone of all his treasure rest in the bottom lay. For if I should, said he, bestow this jewel also on my creature, he would adore my gifts instead of me, and rest in nature, not the God of nature, and so both should losers be. Yet let him keep the rest, uh, but keep him with a repining restlessness. Let him be rich and weary, that at least if goodness lead him not, yet weariness may toss him to my breast. There's a diagram just to kind of explain this briefly. So it's as though, you, you know, you have the pulley, right? You've been at the gym, you know, you know what a pulley is. And on the one side, you have uh, a glass of blessings or the, the bucket of blessings that's coming down from the Lord. And on the other side of it, you have, um, you have us. So God is dropping down the blessings to earth. And when one side of the pulley comes down, what's, me- what's meant to happen to the other one, right? The other one's supposed to go up. So when the blessings come down to earth, our hearts are meant to come up to the Lord in gratitude and thanksgiving. We're meant to love him even more for it. But one of the things that God did when he was pouring, you know, it's just a, a reimagining of the creation story. When he's pouring out the blessings on mankind, he holds back for a moment. And it's like, oh, should I pour out the rest, the rest of what I have here, which is plan words, should I pour out rest, spiritual rest on them? Well, actually, no, I'll keep this up here. So that if, if something messes up in the blessings and then when the blessings are coming down, if that doesn't lead people to me, then the fact that rest is up there is going to toss them up to me. So God, is, God has rest with him eternally. And his blessings, all the things that we enjoy, that we are meant to love and enjoy, all of those things, or many of those things on the, the uh, silencing the noise part of the chart that were good things, God was, meant, God was meant to give us those things, and we were meant to enjoy them. Exercise, eating, shopping, all of those. They were good. But what they were meant to do is they were meant to come down in blessings and then draw our hearts up to him in gratitude. But the problem was, a lot of times we rested in those blessings instead of him. And so both were losers. The blessings didn't function the way they were supposed to, and we didn't get the, bless- we didn't get the blessing out of it because we didn't enjoy them in connection with the Lord. And so the Lord kept rest up with him so that we would come back to him and that to some degree we would always have a restlessness about us when our hearts weren't close to him. I want to end with a, with a, with a quote from um, uh, a woman who was writing, a, writing an article to talk about uh, how Thomas Aquinas was talking about these, these ancient vices. And, you know, the objector, the person who's like, well, sloth isn't that bad, you know, everyone needs a break here and there. Aquinas, quote, sees it as a refusal to rest as we should. That is, in God, and especially through Sabbath-keeping. How can sloth be a refusal to rest? Well, Aquinas' view is a little less weird or paradoxical when we remember that he's using the concept of rest as the early Christian theologians did. Resting for them, and here's the point, resting for them did not mean total inactivity, but an immersive enjoyment in humanity's proper activity. We are resting in this sense when we are doing what we were created to do, that we so deeply want to do, when we are being who we are meant to be. The desire for rest brings us to God. He's the source of the rest. 
This doesn't mean a total inactivity, but it means actually enjoying who we were meant to be and who we want to be when we are living before the Lord as he meant us to be. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you hold out rest for us as part of enjoying who we were meant to be, who you created us to be, and who, and who through the fall and through the brokenness of all this world, uh, who often we fail to be. But, we, but we, when we are close to you, we want to be this. We want to rest in you. We want our minds to reflect the quietness of knowing a faithful creator. We want our church life together to be both energizing and also a place where we, um, when we are broken, uh, we, we can be cared for. And then in caring for others and being cared for, we are built up. I pray that the right kind of quietness would characterize our lives together. We thank you for the life of Jesus that you've held out before us to pursue and to follow the one who planned to wisely steward the resources that belong to him and who also is always available for the need of the moment to care for those right in front of him. I pray that these things would inspire us to rest in Jesus, who is alone rested perfectly. In his name we pray. Amen.